Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name is Perry Bider, my pronouns are he, him, and I am the officiant today. We welcome everyone to our hybrid platform, whether you're here in the hall, watching now on Zoom, or watching our, or listening to the recording later. We are one community unified across time and space as we gather to affirm our values and commit to a better world. If you are on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome from today's Zoom chat usher and tips on how to use the closed captioning feature, among others. Here in the hall, we have assisted listening devices available. Check with the sound team at the back for more information on those. In-person visitors, please stop by the welcome table after platform today to speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Online visitors, whether watching today or tuning in later, we invite you to send an email to Maceo at M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org or to fill out a connection form, which you can find at tiny.cc slash westconnects. I will now read a few of the greetings that folks have written in the chat. Online friends, while I'm doing that, you might want to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. So, oh, and apologies in advance if I mispronounce anyone's name. Um, Kate says, good morning, everyone. Donna Radner, good morning. Terry Smith, good morning. Adam Limehouse, good morning. Linda DeShulo to everyone. Can anyone, oh, okay, well, technical issues that are being worked on, I'm sure, if not resolved already. Um, Alex Abbott says, good morning to all. Uh, good morning from Linda DeShulo. Uh, Brian and Leanne say hello. Uh, good morning from Shirley Storms. Okay, that seems to be it for the moment. Oh, Susan Ewing, okay, last one to squeeze in. It is good to connect and share this time together. Once you're prepared, I invite you to settle in wherever you are as we continue to gather. Opening words this morning are from William Faulkner. The past is never dead. It's not even past. Our opening song today is The Natural Order of Things. Daylight hold around, you find me hiding under the 
Welcome once again. Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc readsop. Today's reader is Kayo Gamber, known to many of us for a variety of her contributions at WES. I believe you served on the board at one point, and she served on the previous search team that found Amanda Poppy. And of course, she is one of the indefatigable uh, ringleaders of the West auction, which we are looking forward to having again in person in November. Hey, I'm just going to give a quick plug. The first Saturday of November is the auction. We hope it will be in person and also online, a very well-orchestrated hybrid experience. Um, and we are accepting donations, and I will take any donations for uh, basket items. And we are also looking for volunteers for day of. So if you're interested, please talk with me. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith, faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth, we warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Kao. As Kao lights our community candle, I invite those of you with candles at home to light yours and for everyone to join me in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Good morning. Our story this morning is by Muan Taiwan, with art by Jessica Love. I love you because 
I love you. I love you because, because you're you. And I love you because you're here. Because I love you, I am here. I love you because you carry me. Because I love you, I am strong. I love you because you play with me. Because I love you, the world becomes a playground. I love you because you see what others miss. Because I love you, I see more than before. I love you because you let me speak. Because I love you, love blooms where our voices meet. I love you because you cook with care. Because I love you, food tastes better when shared. I love you because you let me make mistakes. Because I love you, no mistake is ever too great. I love you because you know when I am sad. Because I love you, I share the good with the bad. I love you because you're brave when I'm afraid. Because I love you, I'm braver every day. I love you because you wait for me. Because I love you, we are never too late. I love you because you tell the best stories. Because I love you, my best story is you. I love you because we go together. Because I love you, we change and grow together. Let's enter now into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of people suffering from extreme weather this summer, including those killed or without power as a result of the thousand-mile derecho event this week in Europe. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer.
and let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. like to invite you into a time of quiet reflection, meditation, prayer, if that's your jam. Take a deep breath. Feel yourself in your chair. Do what you need to feel grounded. Maybe you need a few more big, deep, breaths. Maybe you need to stretch a little bit. Mindful of that you have neighbors. Maybe you need to close your eyes or focus softly on something in front of you. Whatever you need, take a moment to set And as we settle into this place together, I invite you to call to mind your ancestors. Start perhaps with your parents, your grandparents, great grandparents, if you have a connection to them. Think for a moment about all of the stories of their lives, all of the stories poured into the world that eventually resulted in you. Think further back. Great, great grandparents, ancestors even deeper than that. Thousands of years back, early writing, humans before writing, in caves, making art more complicated than we realized it was until pretty recently. Go back further. Other mammals, unlike those we know today and like those we know today. Mammals blooming in the wake of the end of the world for the dinosaurs. Go back further. Get off the land, into the water, before creatures knew how to breathe in the air. Go back further to our ancestors who did not have bones, who did not have spines, who did not have form. Our ancestors who are sparks of life little 
individual cells appearing unlikely as it might have been in the waters of this planet. What a long and unlikely story this has been. What a long, complicated, messy, quite literally, history this has been. Zoom forward, back to yourself. Think of children that you have, maybe grandchildren, maybe children you hope to have or grandchildren you hope to have. Children you know, children you see leaving schools and buying their new supplies to return. Go forward with them. Think about all the stories that aren't told yet. All the ways people might come to be in 20, 40, 80, 200, 500, 1,000 years, if given the chance. Get far out into the future, beyond what you can imagine might happen yet. Stretch a little bit. And then come back to now. And feel history and the future colliding in you right now. Everything that has been, all the things that could be, alive in this precious communal moment of pausing. Take one more big, deep breath if you like. And be here. Be here.
Give me a second, please. Today's reading is from the Phantom Toll Booth by Norton Juster. In this scene near the end of the book, Milo and his companions, the humbug, and the watchdog, Tak, have succeeded in their quest to rescue the princesses of pure reason and sweet rhyme. The sisters had been banished to the mountains of ignorance by their prideful and short-sighted brothers, the math magician and King Azaz the unabridged, because the sisters wouldn't agree that either numbers or words were more important than the other. Now they're all riding together in a grand parade to celebrate the sisters' return. Milo, Tok, and the very subdued humbug sat proudly in the royal carriage with Azaz, the mathematician, and the two princesses, and the parade stretched for miles in both directions. As the cheering continued, Rhyme leaned forward and touched Milo gently on the arm. They're shouting for you, she said with a smile. But I could never have done it, he objected, without everyone else's help. That may be true, said Reason gravely, but you had the courage to try. And what you can do is often simply a matter of what you will do. That's why, said Azaz, there was one very important thing about your quest that we couldn't discuss until you returned. I remember, said Milo eagerly, tell me now. It was impossible, said the king, looking at the mathematician. Completely impossible said the math magician, looking at the king. Do you mean, stammered the bug, who suddenly felt a bit faint. Yes, indeed, they repeated together. But if we'd told you then, you might not have gone. And as you've discovered, so many things are possible, just as long as you don't know, they're impossible. And for the remainder of the ride, Milo didn't utter a sound. Well, it is not only possible, but a great pleasure for me to turn the lectern back over to Wes's new senior leader, Casey Slack. Our great city, Washington, D.C., was founded on July 16th, 1790. Unique among cities in our country, Washington DC was established by the Constitution of the United States to serve as the nation's capital. From its beginnings, it has been embroiled in political maneuvering 
sectional conflicts and issues of race, national identity, compromise, and of course, power. If you get your history from the musical Hamilton, and please don't, you would learn that in a catchy number about Aaron Burr's desire for power, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson made a compromise with Alexander Hamilton, winning one victory for the Southerners, in other words. They got to be closer to home while they were at work. And Hamilton got to keep the banks in New York. We'll leave discussion of what a trade that was for another time. Once the territory was ceded by Maryland and Virginia, George Washington appointed Pierre Charles, Charles L'Enfant, who presented a bold vision for a modern city. Oh, 1790, modern city, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But a modern city with grand boulevards, now these streets named for states, and ceremonial spaces, very reminiscent of L'Enfant's own hometown, Paris. The bird of Washington, D.C. is the wood thrush, the crustacean, yes, we have a crustacean, is the haze spring amphipod, a shrimp-like creature that only exists in certain parts of the Potomac and Anacostia rivers. The fish is the American shot. The flower is the American beauty rose. The mammal, the little brown bat. The tree, the scarlet oak. The beverage is the Ricky, gin or otherwise. The dinosaur is the aptly named Capitalsaurus. <laughs> the food is the cherry, and the rock is the Potomac bluestone. Washington, D.C. sits on the ancestral lands of the Anacostans, who were previously called the Conchek. And over time, the neighboring Scataway and Pamunkey peoples. This land, which, friends, if you've been here a while, I don't know if you would understand exactly how verdant this land is. Move from the desert, and you will find yourselves at all times thrilled by trees. This land, which remains verdant, was home to plentiful resources. The indigenous peoples of this land fished and hunted. They grew foods in the soil. There was a lot of trade among the local peoples, and not just the communities that sat south of the river where Capitol Hill is now and throughout Maryland and Virginia. There were widespread networks of trade, and it is very clear to us now that this was a hub of commerce, of trade for indigenous people across much of what is now the United States. It took 
40 years after the arrival of John Smith et al. in 1608 for violence and disease to reduce the indigenous population of this area to one quarter of what it had previously been. The remaining indigenous people were pushed out of the area. Some sent north where they joined with other tribal communities and others taken and forced into slavery in the Caribbean islands. According to officials at the National Museum of the American Indian, there is no living Nanchoktuk Anacostia lineage left. Their numbers were more than decimated. And those who survived were adopted into the Picasantwe people, losing their original identity along the way. Today, roughly 4,163 indigenous people live in the district. There are a lot more DC histories. It's easy to look at a founding and a list of white men who accomplished great things. It's really easy to do that here. And call it the fullness of history. But there is an indigenous history. There is a geologic history going even further back than people to a time when the nearby Appalachian Mountains connected from West Virginia to Sweden, when the continents weren't even as they are. And then there are histories that move forward. There are black histories of Washington, D.C., of Civil War forts where free people chose how free was that choice? To participate as soldiers for the North in the Civil War. There is the founding of Howard University and black tenants' rights movements and the subsequent destruction or redevelopment of the Berry Farm community in Anacostia. There are queer histories of Washington, D.C., which certainly do not begin as Wikipedia suggests in the Lavender Scare era of the 1950s and McCarthyism. There are disabled histories of Washington, D.C. The founding of Gaudet University, not to mention all of the various histories of national level activism worked out in the scenery of this place. And there's even more weird niche histories. For example, Dave Grohl, legendary drummer of the band Nirvana and founder of the band The Foo Fighters, began his career as a drummer in the DC hardcore punk scene. Everything is history in plural. History is not one thing. History happens in multiples. 
We have a tendency as people in one body, generally, in one life, to see time as linear, to see history as happening in an order, distinct events with little relation to one another. Depending on how good your education was, you were either taught history as a succession of dates you couldn't keep track of, attached to names you weren't sure why you cared about, or maybe you were taught that history is a form of storytelling. I tend to believe that history is a form of storytelling, an unfinished, continuing process by which we tell stories from the past make meaning about the present and process our ideas for the future. History at its best is information that we can pass our ideas through to have better possibilities for tomorrow. History is necessarily unfinished a story that will not be ended in our lifetimes, probably. I am not a physicist. Let's be clear. I am not a physicist. I am many wonderful things. None of them is a physicist. Other people, however, are. And though we are given to understanding time as unidirectional and ourselves as moving through it neatly and in order. It is not clear that that is the reality of time. Last century, Einstein taught us that time is created by things, that in the scope of the universe and on the level of atoms, time and stuff are the same thing. Uh huh. In this century, right now, contemporary Italian theoretical physicist Carlo Rovielli, who I have some books by but have not succeeded in reading any of them yet, speculates that time neither flows nor even exists. It is an illusion created by our cute little mammalian brains, a pattern we have picked out of chaos. I am not a physicist. I cannot evaluate any of these claims mathematically. And no matter how much I try to get my astrophysicist friends to explain quantum physics to me, it does not stick. I am, however, some other things. I am a storyteller. I am a person who has spent a lot of time in other people's stories waiting around in the mess of life, with humans sometimes at intense breaking points in their own experience. My history includes a few years working in a hospital as a chaplain in the ICU, the oncology department, 
and the emergency room, watching people receive diagnoses or having experiences that break time in their life. Our emotional bodies can experience time in ways that breaks and stretches and squishes. We have all experienced a summer that blows by and a meeting that takes a decade. Time is funny in our brains and our feelings. Time in our bodies, physically and emotionally, is not in a straight line. This a function of biology rather than of physics. Our experience of time is a little bit like our experience of the color magenta. Magenta is not a real color, my friends. Magenta is what your brain makes up when it sees a series of wavelengths that it cannot process. Magenta is what happens when your brain sees a series of wavelengths that it thinks might be green, but then it says, but I can see green, so that can't be it and it creates anti-green. Your understanding of time is often similarly faulty. How long ago was your first date with a partner? How long ago does it feel? How long ago did you have a child, graduate from school, first attend this congregation? Was it minutes, years, decades, all of that? How long did the last two and a half years take? (laughs) Was it no time at all or maybe a century? Sometimes both. One of the things we know more and more from biology and psychology is that experiences of trauma collapse time, cause time to fold in on itself, become hard to perceive. Previous several years are an example of that. It's hard to know where in there anything was or what took how long because your brain was busy handling trauma It couldn't think about time. The idea of a trigger is similar. A trigger psychologically is an experience of a scent, sound, other sort of tactile thing that causes a person's brain to return to a breaking moment. Triggers can be anything. We want to think that they are only the bad thing, right? A person who is abused is only triggered by yelling. But a lot of times it's a little sensory thing. There is an essay about eggs. I cannot remember who wrote it at this time. I did not look it up in advance. There's an essay about eggs on the internet, written by someone who had experienced sexual assault. In her experience, eggs frying in a pan became a trigger 
trauma collapses time and in weird ways. We learn more and more that it does not just collapse time in our individual lives and bodies, it collapses time on the order of generations. We find as we learn more about genetics that epigenetic trauma, things experienced by your parents and grandparents, especially large, intense traumas, like a pandemic, like oppression, like the Holocaust, like slavery. They live in your body. They live in your genetics. That trauma rewrites the genetics you pass on to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, giving them different responses to different stimuli. This is one of the ways that history is always, always present. That there is no escaping what was because it is physically in our bodies. And yet, it would be a mistake to assume that history requires certain futures. To assume that what did happen is not just prelude, but script. That the spirals of time require us to go just around and around, not simply to similar places in a spiraling arc. We find ourselves in a weird moment of history. Time is breaking constantly. Trauma is pervasive in our lives, and no matter how much you manage or mediate your news consumption, or in my case, your time on Twitter, being aware enough to continue participating requires confronting some extremely difficult things. We live in a moment that happens to succeed in being the late 1920s, early 1930s Germany. I'm going to just leave that statement there for a second. The 60s, the 80s, the 90s, and many other points throughout history simultaneously. We are re-fighting things we thought were sealed, right? Attacks on trans people are quickly turning into attacks on LGBT people as a whole, which was the point. It is before 1973 in some states again. There is a woman currently in the middle of the country, and I'm going to just go ahead and throw a trigger warning on all of this. I'm going to say something real intense right now was fundraising to get out of her state so that she can have an abortion because she is carrying a fetus without a skull. And in her home state, they will not allow her to have that abortion. 
in Texas, in Florida, in schools. Gay people are being told, do not even have a picture of your partner. We continue, continue to, at a policy level, abandon immunocompromised people as we face the continuation of one pandemic and the bubbling up of another. Shit's hard, friends. Every single day, it is hard, and I wake up more often than I would like to admit to you, not sure that we're gonna make it 20 years. And then I think about the children. I think about the teenagers I've worked with and the younger children I get to see here sometimes, with my family sometimes. The kids I get to see running around my neighborhood. Caitlin and I live in Anacostia, and one of the joys of my life is happy black children living in a community that gets to care for them but also that does not have the resources it needs to care for them like they deserve. That part is less joy. Each moment is a collision of the past and the future. All that has been remixing itself in your body into what is possible. Your genetics could tell you a lot of things. My genetics tell me to have a lot of potatoes in storage. My boyfriend's genetics, my boyfriend, a Jamaican man from Toronto, whose family ran from the Caribbean up through the United States to Toronto. His genetics tell him to run constantly. Your genetics might tell you to run, might tell you to keep potatoes, might tell you to lay down and give up. Your personal psychology might tell you to cry, do it. Might tell you to hide, don't. Where the possibility lives, where the promise of the future lives, is not just in children, is in all of us. All of us locations of creativity. All of us, the universe's creative potential crashing into an experience. This unlikely journey from single-celled organisms appearing in soup to terribly complicated, very anxious monkeys. Unlikely, improbable, perhaps on the grand scale of things, impossible. But here, anyway. There are better possibilities if you think backwards and forwards at the same time. 
there are better possibilities if you don't think alone. Community, communities like this, where we come together to think and feel and be, to hear each other's stories, to take the past seriously and approach the future with as much joy as we can muster. This is the location of possibility. Here is where we change ourselves and one another enough to go and change everything else. Here is where we get to take seriously that we are not required, as the Talmud mentions, to take on responsibility for fixing everything. But we're not allowed to leave it alone either. Here is where we learn and grow and love together. Here is where love makes all things. So if you wake up this week, next week, next month, whenever, not sure that we're going to make it 20 or even two years, not sure that you can make it, feeling time and history broken and raging inside of you, you're allowed to go back to sleep. But do eventually get out of the bed and call someone. Text them, please don't just call me. I'm a millennial, I can't do it. However, write an email, send a text message, call someone who likes phone calls. Make time to enjoy being outside with a friend. Remember that nothing is impossible until you believe it is. Practice. Show up and love. Love, love the hell out of this world in each way I could possibly mean that. Go in peace, go in love. May your lives ever be blessed and a blessing. Thank you, Casey. After some music, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat or speak into the microphone about what resonated with you in this platform. In this time between, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that the platform brought to mind. As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response.
This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. I'll start with Zoom comments. Uh, we'll accept some comments at the microphone from people here in the hall and then return to any more Zoom comments at the end. So <clears throat> let's see what we have here. Um, see from Laura Steele. Love the history, especially of the native inhabitants and the story and humor and the exhortation for us to heal us. I will mention that uh, for whatever reason, Zoom and or my updated Android system kicked me out of the uh, <clears throat> Zoom's, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for, session. Um, so if anybody wrote something before Laura's comment, uh, please send it again if you want me to be able to read it, because I didn't see it. Um, but in the meantime, why don't we start with uh, folks here in the hall. Please uh, state your name and you can offer your pronouns, and please keep the comments brief so that we can hear from as many people as possible. Thank you, Perry. My name is Peter Bishop, he, him, his. and. Um, <clears throat> I spent uh, 12 years in the semiconductor industry, and uh, so uh, I'm not, my doctor's in computer science. Uh, so, but my undergraduate is in uh, straight electrical engineering, with doing my uh, project lab in quantum mechanics. And um, so, I, I thought what you were talking about at the time was kind of interesting. Uh, these days, the physicists are getting a little weird. And to my way of thinking, what they're saying about time makes no sense whatsoever. 
So I just wanted to share that with you. However, <laughs> what, you were, what you were saying about the psychological aspects of time, it seems to me we're really very right on. And really, in our setting, it's more appropriate for us to be talking about psychological issues than it is to be talking about physics. So thank you. Hi, I'm Shayla Bokum, she, hers. Um, I really like the, all the stories, all the history. It's just so interesting to think about all the history that happened and, you know, just, it's just like you said last week, um, all, every person you walk meet on the street has such a history just like yours, and it's so cool to think about that. Um, also, I was in bed this morning at like 9.40 or something like that, and my friend called me, Nahida, and she said, uh, are you coming? And I said, oh, I guess I better get up. <laughs> so definitely, you know, sometimes you need to rest, sometimes you need to get up, sometimes you need to call a friend. It's all good. Good morning, Jeff. You all here? Sorry, I forgot to put on my name tag today. Um, Casey, you've done it this time. <laughs> um, you, you've touched on one of my passions, which is history. And I noted that in the description on the West site of what people, you mentioned linear, and people do tend to think of history in linear terms, that it just moves in these parallel lines, and that's not really true. To give an example, some years ago, my friend Betsy and I were invited to a wedding, and during the reception, we were talking with one of the other guests who had mentioned um, the hoop skirts that women wore prior to the Civil War and then just beyond, and it launched into this interesting discussion not only of women's fashion, but of horses and sewage disposal and architecture and toilets and urban transit, so it goes all over the place. The quote from William Faulkner I found apt, but there's also the one from Mark Twain that says, history doesn't repeat itself, but it can rhyme. So maybe we're, we're like Germany in the early 1930s. Yeah, maybe. The problem, I think, with a lot of people when you are taught history or read it, you look at things happening as if the outcome was preordained. And that's really far from the case. One of the books I've got at home is just simply entitled What If, which is a game historians like to play. Um, you know, what if Martin Luther had nailed his theses to a cathedral in France instead of Germany? I, I give serious money that Martin Luther wouldn't have lived to see the following year. Thank you. Don't do trains. <laughs> You haven't done started yet, actually. Hello, Judy O, she, her. Um, I guess a Judy Ohm. Um, so thank you, Casey. I love how you bring so many different things into your talk. Um, very rich and dense. The thing that actually um, struck me was at the was during the meditation when you when it occurred to me that so many people are not raised by biological anything and I just uh, was meditating on that and how our general assumptions talk about your mom and your dad 
I, uh, thankfully, I'm not sure. Uh, I was raised by both of my parents, mostly, sort of, kind of. And uh, um, I did my best to raise my parents well. But <laughs> Anyway, so, but thank you. Maybe that's right. Is that right? Okay, I'm Trish, and thank you, Barry. <laughs> Little detail. I, I tend to not pay as much attention these days to detail as I once did in my life. But I am thrilled with how many different areas of thought you've brought together this morning, Casey, and I'm especially thrilled about the mention of epigenetics. That's my latest thing of, I've got to get into this, I've got to get into this. To tell you the truth, I began by researching the best books, okay? And my choice among the best books will arrive from Amazon, who I'm, I wish I could boycott, but I can't do it, uh, will arrive tonight by 10 o'clock. Now, here's the thing, though, and for, for this, I think, may resonate with some of you who've gotten into this and, and with you, Casey. Um, this has the possibility, you know, this idea that experience really changes the way the DNA behaves, okay? For me, that has the capacity to change everything I thought I understood, because I've been one of these people that ha has spent at least the last 10 or 15 years of my life thinking, well, I can at least partly create myself through my intention and through my mindfulness and through the plasticity of my mind. And I can train it to be more aware and appreciative of what I want to train it to do. But along comes epigenetics, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I can't wait to find out what I find out, what I think I can find out myself. But on a slightly more, and then I'll end, serious note, um, my family was a very, very unhappy family. And there were people in the family that had more than one person, just really seriously negative conditions. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. So, you know, there's that aspect of it, too. But if anybody wants to talk about it, I'll be glad as time goes along to share what I find out. Anyway, thank you for bringing Hi, um, I'm Katie, and I've only been here like three times in the past five years. So thank you for welcoming me back. I'm introducing myself again. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a producer and director of film and theater, and I come from um, a physical theater background. And when I was listening to the language being used about history and the wholeness of it, I, I was thinking a lot about the body and how we have, um, I think so many of us, our brains think about 
our bodies as having a front and a back, like a piece of paper that only has a drawing on one side of it. Um, and I was, I was reminding myself, so, so I'll re remind you all if it, it's meaningful to you, that we are, are in fact bodies that do not have fronts and backs, um, that in fact to open something we move backwards and to step forward we're actually moving down. And uh, our bodies are complete um, and omnidirectional, just sort of like our appreciation of time. Thank you. Thank you. I see one more comment here on the Zoom, and that is from uh, Mark Mayer, who says, thank you for your message of optimism, Casey. It is sorely needed. And I guess Eileen wants to have the final word. bring it down to my height. Um, thank you, Casey. First of all, it was a fascinating lecture, but at the end, it really hit me very close to home, very deep inside. There are times these days when what's going on in the world and what's going on in my own life, the pains in my body and everything, are such that I just want to pull the covers over my head, stay in bed, and never get up again. And so thank you for telling me to get up, to do things, to be aware, and to try, as I've always tried, as I've always believed in, to do my best to leave this world a little bit better than I found it or than I see it to be. So thank you. I really needed that. It really spoke to me. Eileen Rubenstein, she, her. Well, thank you all. Oops. Okay. Um, thank you all for sharing your thoughts and your spirit with us today. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, the fund we're sharing half of the offering with is Family and Friends of Incarcerated People. FFOIP seeks to bring services to the children of the incarcerated and at-risk youth. It promotes social, cultural, and youth development as a way of avoiding intergenerational incarceration. Let's all take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity. For those who are able to respond, we want to make it as easy as possible by offering several options. If you're someone who gives by text, the number for that is 202-335-1885, as you can see on the slide. Another option is to go online to the Donate button on Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. You can also place cash or a check in the basket at the back of the hall on your way out if you're here today. And of course, you can always send a check by mail. 
Thank you for your generosity. We will now receive your gifts and the gift of music. Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together, including staff members and Dara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Maceo Thomas, and Tom Hutton, interim music coordinator Leah Morris, and the guest, all the guest musicians she brought us, slide artists John and Abby Dakin, stage manager Kate Lang, in-person greeters Busola Abitayo and Ann Baker, tech team members Patrick McNeely, Paul Dimian, and John Lika. Zoom usher Paul Baker and Zoom coffee hour host Alex Abbott. At the conclusion of platform, please join us for social hour in person around the foyer and on the patio, or for that virtual coffee hour, which you will find at tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. Thanks also to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. You can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails and on the calendar page of Wes's website. Registration is now open for Wes's Sunday Ethical Education for Kids, or SEEK, program. And we are recruiting volunteers for teaching teams and the overall SEEK team. You do not need to be a parent to volunteer. And this is a great way to get involved in the community. If you want to play more of a role in the village that helps raise Wes's young people, please email Indara at N-D-A-R-A-M at ethicalsociety.org. And speaking of registering, if you are interested in joining a small group to explore and create community, please consider joining a Thai group that stands for Together in Exploration uh, for the next year. You can express your interest by completing the form in the chat or at, uh, what does that say? Can't read my own writing. Oh, or by contacting Maceo at ma at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. Uh, the West Chorus will not meet this week, but we'll resume our Wednesday rehearsals, which are from 7.30 to 9 p.m. here in the main hall, the following week, August 31st, 
as we prepare to provide the music for opening Sunday on September 18th. The chorus is open to everyone, so please get in touch with me if you have any questions or want more details. That said, I noticed that a number of you have so far managed somehow to resist my entreaties to join the chorus. So we're going to try something new. Pre-platform sessions to introduce folks to the song of the month, which for September will be Circle Round by Mamuse, M-A-M-U-S-E. If this sounds to you like a fun way to dip your toe into the water of singing at Wes, please let me know. We could do this on September 4th, which is Labor Day weekend, or September 11th, or both, but I don't want to show up here if no, early if nobody else is coming. So please get in touch. Next week, our platform speaker will be the Reverend Dr. Gregory C. Carroll Boyd, who will address us on the topic, Labor Without Love. To attend platform in person, please RSVP at tiny.cc slash platform reservation. You will need to bring your vaccination card or a picture of it. Or, of course, you can tune in by Zoom as we continue with hybrid platforms for the foreseeable future. As we begin to wrap up today's platform, I invite you to join in our closing song, Love is the Water. You say your heart's been turned to stone. You say you want to be left alone. You say love only means you weep and moan. Well, let me tell you something that you know in your bones. Love is the water that wears down the rock. Love is the water that wears down the rock. Love is the power that won't be stopped. Love is the water that wears down the rock. Down the rock. 
A few brief reminders before we leave. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. And to reach Virtual Coffee Hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, inspiring being inspired to living for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Thank you all for joining in today's platform. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.